How do you define a sports folk hero? Now, I, I don't know if this is an official definition, but for me, a folk hero is, is different than a regular hero. It's different than maybe a, a superhero. A folk hero is someone who maybe isn't the world's best player every single game. A folk hero is someone who, in the moment that they're needed the most, they step up and they make a play. I think of a hero, a superhero is Michael Jordan. A folk hero is John Paxson or Steve Kerr. Or to put it in terms that we're going to talk about, a superhero is Vince Young. Unstoppable. The greatest quarterback in Texas history. One of the greatest college football players of all time. A hero is Colt McCoy. A great player. Uh, an incredible player. But not as good as Vince Young. Not a superhero. Not essentially perfect. And a folk hero is the man we're talking to today. Case McCoy. Because when his team, when his conference needed him the most, he was a hero. That's who we're talking to today. And we're talking Texas versus Texas A&M. The one and only time everyone was on the Longhorn side. This is the Bedgood's Big 12 Bullets Game of the Week. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That is the theme of the week for Texas Week when they beat Texas A&M in 2011 in the final, for now, game of one of the most historic and intense rivalries in all of college football. This is still strange to me that this game is not played. We're going to get into all of those reasons. We're going to get into... Why AM left, why everyone was mad at AM for leaving. And at the end, after we talk to Case McCoy, we'll get into what's happened to both teams since this game and since AM left the conference, which we've talked about many times. So I won't get into it too much, but we will tie up the loose ends at the end of this podcast. But for right now, let's talk Rev Town jeans, the most comfortable jeans in the world. They are built kind of like, or made, kind of like athletic wear. So there's a little bit of a stretch. You can sit in them. You can move around in them. They're fairly light. They don't feel hot like normal jeans. And they're very stylish. RevTownUSA.com to get yours. I really appreciate them sponsoring the Big 12 Bullets podcast. It's been a great partnership, and I love my RevTown jeans. So Texas and Texas A&M. It's a rivalry that's still just as intense today, even though they don't play each other. And every year, every offseason, someone from Texas says, yeah, I'd love for them to play again. And te- someone from Texas A&M says, uh, yeah, we're not really interested in doing that. So why is A&M not interested in doing that? Why did A&M leave the conference? Well, there's a lot, a lot, a lot to unpack. And we're not going to get into all of the reasons, but... The biggest summary is the Longhorn Network, the deal that Texas signed with ESPN, gave them significantly more money than everyone else in the conference. Other conferences share their money fairly equally, and the SEC is the biggest and baddest and most lucrative conference. 
And A&M saw the money there, decided that they wanted to get out from under Texas's thumb, and they left. That is kind of, kind of a very, very broad overview of what happened. There's a lot of other reasons. A&M fans will say that they wanted the better competition. That hasn't worked out for them. Nebraska left the conference for the same reason, essentially. Uh, Colorado, I feel like, was already kind of a Pac-12 team anyway. They didn't really belong in the Big 12, seems like to me at least. So that wasn't a weird team to leave. And Missouri, frankly, I forget Missouri was ever in the Big 12. They don't belong in the SEC either. They should still probably be in the Big 12, but I do forget about them a lot. But A&M was the biggest team that left the conference just in terms of it broke up a historic rivalry. This rivalry was played every year between 1915 and 2011. It was played 118 times. Texas leads the series by a wide margin, 76 to 37 to 5. But it was so much more than the football field. This was the game that every A&M fan looked forward to all year. Texas has the OU, the Red River shootout, and then they have the A&M game. It's a Thanksgiving tradition. It was something that both schools, it is something that both schools still have the other school in their fight song. A&M's whole thing is about sawing them off, you know, sawing varsity's horns off. They still do that, even though they don't play Texas and they refuse to play Texas. This is so much bigger than money and prestige amongst the schools. I just... I don't want to get into how ridiculous it is that they don't play, but this was heartbreaking for lots of fans and lots of family. Lots of families are split. A lot of them have Longhorns and Aggies in the same family. And it was a tradition to watch this game, go to this game. Um, It just isn't the same. Nobody cares about Texas playing Texas tech on Thanksgiving or even Thanksgiving week or, or A&M playing, whoever they play LSU or, you know, it just, it just doesn't, it's not the same at all. And so this was a game that everyone knew it was the last game and you had to win it. If you were Texas or if you were A&M, because this was bragging rights for the rest of time, potentially. I mean, they still haven't played those bragging rights still are with the Longhorns. Even though A&M's had a Heisman trophy winner, even though A&M has, had one really good season since um, they and, and they they talk smack about recruiting. They didn't win this game, and frankly, they should have. This game was at Kyle Field, the vaunted Kyle Field with the super loud crowd that you know nobody should ever win at Kyle Field. Well, A and M has a loud crowd, that's true, but they lose a lot of games at Kyle Field, and this is one of them. But A and M came out just on fire. They were feeding off the crowd. They were quarterbacked by Ryan Tannehill, who it it must be said was awful this game. He threw three interceptions. I never was really impressed with him as a a college quarterback. Somehow he's ended up being a decent NFL quarterback, I guess, but that's who their quarterback was. He did not play well at all. Um, Three interceptions, and we'll get into those. They were very big. But A&M's up 13 to nothing in this game, and Texas' offense is really getting nothing going. And then Texas punts 
and the punt goes off an A&M player. Texas recovers, and you know what they do the next play? They went for it. And I talked to Case about this, but they go double pass or, or a, a wide receiver pass from Jackson Shipley. Yes, that is Jordan's brother. So, of course, Jordan's brother Jackson was playing with Colt's brother Case. That sounds like a nursery rhyme. Uh, and that pass went to Blaine Irby, who scores the touchdown, and now suddenly it's 13-7, to and Texas is – they've quieted the crowd, and they're pumped up themselves. Blaine Irby, a little fact about him, he had missed two full seasons of football. So then A&M gets the ball back. They throw an interception on the next play. Things are not going well for A&M at this point. Um, but A&M does get the ball back uh, after a Blaine Irby fumble. And Texas throws another wide receiver pass. This time it doesn't work out. It's intercepted. So A&M's up at halftime, 16-7. to A&M's, I mean, that's not a dominant score, 16-7, to but A&M was playing better than Texas for a lot of this game. And then we get a pick six by Texas. It's 16-14. And this game is very chippy, very, very chippy game. So a lots of personal fouls. Um, these players knew what it meant. They knew what this game meant. That it was there was this was the national championship. I didn't I didn't even get into this. These teams were not that great. Texas was number twenty five. A and M was unranked. Texas was six and four before this game. A and M was six and five before this game. This felt like a national championship game between two teams that were very average this this season. And the players knew that, and they felt that, and you could tell. And so it's 16-14 after a pick six, and then Quandre digs for Texas, 81-yard punt return. But he stopped before the end zone. So they get a field goal at 17-14. Texas in the third quarter had three yards of offense, and they took the lead. So A&M's offense is struggling. Tannehill throws another pick. Texas goes up 24-16. At this point in Case McCoy's career, and even after this game, he had never thrown an interception. So they were being pretty careful with him as far as passing, and he he was just smart with the ball. But A&M finally, finally gets it together after the Tannehill picks and the just the struggles, and they score with a minute and 48 seconds left. It's 25-24. to 24. Kyle Field is going insane because this could mean it, that they've beaten Texas for the last time. Texas has an offense that's struggled for most of the game, and they have Case McCoy, who's a freshman or a sophomore. Sorry, I messed that up in the interview. Case McCoy, who was a sophomore, and he has not played super well. Nobody's played super well for Texas's offense. This should be A&M's game. Now, they did go for two, and it was stopped, so Texas can win it on a field goal. That'll come into play later. Texas, for their drive, they start... They go penalty and completion. First two plays, or really, I guess, first play. And then the refs get involved. And that's a fun thing we've seen in a lot of these games. The refs make some big calls in big moments, and so a lot of times are controversial. It's a late hit after a missed pass. Was it late? Was it not late? a fans will probably swear to this day that this was a cheap call. The announcers felt like it was a little bit of a cheap call, but it gives Texas a first down because of a late hit and or a pers- yeah, personal foul, 15 yards, and then that gave Texas the momentum they needed. Case is moving the ball down the field. He's passing it in chunks, kind of short plays, but they still have a long way to go. 
And then you have the moment. The moment Case McCoy goes from average quarterback, everyday run-of-the-mill quarterback, to folk hero. Now, Colt, his brother, was famous for having wheels. You know, Colt could run, and Colt was built. He was a bigger guy. And he, he had a lot of big runs where he'd step up in the middle. And Case will break this play down for us later. Um, so just stay tuned for that. But just to tell you what happens here, Case has the ball on the 50-yard line, gets rushed, kind of steps up in the pocket and sees green space, takes off down the middle. This is an iconic, famous run. Running, it's a, it ends up being a 25-yard run. He gets hit at one point, almost fumbles, hangs onto the ball, and then gets hit by about seven different guys. He should have gone down. He should have slid, but he's a folk hero, so he's not going down. Folk heroes don't slide. He gets taken down. His jersey is extremely dirty. He's beaten up. He's He looks like he's just his whole body's in tatters, but he did it. He got them in the field goal range. So with that run, he sets up a 40-yard field goal. Now, the Texas kicker is Justin Tucker. If you're a football fan, you know the name Justin Tucker because Justin Tucker is the Baltimore Ravens kicker, and he's the most accurate kicker in NFL history. So the Longhorns know they've gotten into field goal range Justin Tucker isn't missing this field goal. This game is over. And it was. And it was epic. And now, every other Big 12 team who is maybe bitter about A&M, bitter at A&M for leaving, going to the SEC, taking away a lot of recruits to the SEC with them maybe, they could be breathe a sigh of relief, be happy. Texas won. And we don't have to cheer for them ever again. Let's jump into the conversation with Case McCoy. It was a really, really good one. I, I really enjoyed him as a person. Uh, he only brought up the other folk hero moment of his when he beat OU in 2013. He only brought that up like five times. So, you know, he was a nice guy besides that. Here's Case. And I am excited to have Case McCoy, former Texas quarterback, here on the podcast. Welcome, Case. Thanks for having me, Scott. So we all, you know, our, most people are familiar with your career at Texas. Um, obviously, your brother played there before you. Tell us kind of what went into the t- decision to go to Texas, and did you ever consider anywhere else? And then also um, what you've been doing since your um, career at Texas has ended. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Well, I, uh, I, actually, I committed to Texas very early, uh, when I was when I was younger in, in high school and um you know I, the whole recruiting thing just wasn't for me to be honest with you and uh, when it when it started though uh it, it, I enjoyed most of it I really thought that um I either wanted to go to a school in Florida or I wanted to stay back home in Texas and ultimately chose to stay home in Texas and you know that was one of those deals that if you, you grow up in this state and you want to play in this state uh, and the University of Texas offers you. It's hard. It's hard not to not to go there. That that's a, that's a dream school. And so, you know, the the idea of following in in a, in a legend's footsteps that happens to be your brother is, uh, you know, you look at what some of these other guys have done. I mean, at that time, you know, I was thinking of you know Peyton and Eli. You know, Eli going a different path, but um, and you know, not going to Tennessee. So. 
I, I thought about not following, you know, Colts footsteps coming to Texas, but for the most part, I mean, I knew the coaches here. It was home to me, and just the opportunity for anyone that grows up in this state to, to play at UT, you just can't you can't turn it down. So, um, ultimately, chose to come here and, and committed early and, and put it to bed and enjoyed, you know, my my last couple of years in high school playing ball with my buddies. But now, you know, now what I'm doing, you know, I graduated. I didn't want to have to leave Austin, so got lucky finding a job uh, with a commercial real estate firm here called HPI, um, and and I'm I'm in Austin um, in the commercial real estate scene, one of the one of the better markets in the U.S. right now. Yeah, for sure. Did do you uh, obviously staying in Austin? Everyone, you know, they still know who you are. Do you get asked about? Your career? Do you get asked about maybe this game specifically, this uh, 2011 A&M game, pretty often? Yeah, you know, everyone. Uh, there's two games people want to talk to me about when they when they see me, and it's obviously A&M um, in 2011, the last time I played them, and and really my senior year when, when we. I'm sorry to bring it up, Scott, but when we played OU um, and and upset them, I think they were ranked in the top ten at that time, and. Um, so those are the two games that everyone wants to talk about. Thank goodness, I, during my time there, we had a couple of the big big wins, um, and thank goodness we beat A and M because I don't know I don't know what my career today would look like had we not won that game. <laughs> I'm gonna edit that part out about the OU game. It's they won't. No one's gonna hear that. Um, we're here to talk about 2011 A and M. I have to experience enough pain in this series talking about wins over OU, but we're going to talk about. Actually, that does bring up an interesting point because you talked about. Um, thank goodness, you know, we beat A and M. I feel like this is the only time in Texas history that the entire conference was on was cheering for Texas in, in a game. Did you mm-hmm. did you feel that going into the game? Did you have messages from maybe your friends on other teams or at other schools, or did you just kind of feel a like, hey, everyone's kind of on our side this week? You know, I I, I felt like, um, you know, that's that's an interesting time. That's a loaded question too, but uh, <laughs> it, I don't I don't know many you know people from Tech, you know, or Baylor or. OU that were that can even you know they'll go to their grade before they root for the University of Texas. Um, so I, I think I think there were probably some people that had mixed emotions and will say they rooted for the Big Twelve in that moment in time. But um, you know it's interesting the game in itself. Uh, again, I grew up in the state and and that game is you know and it's interesting for you to hear too for that for that game. Like you go to the University of Texas when I was getting recruited to play in two games to play against A and M every year on Thanksgiving Day or night, or and to play in the Cotton Bowl once a year against you know during the fair against OU. Like those are those are the two games that you go to the University of Texas to play in. Mm-hmm. And so you know now we don't have A and M games, so it's like the rivalry and the buildup and the hype around the Texas versus OU game in the Cotton Bowl has only been magnified, right? But at that time, those are two games that, that you go to Texas for. So, you know, and then and then growing up in the state, like that's that that was uh that was what I've grown up on Thanksgiving my entire life, watching that game and having cousins and family members that went to A and M and rooted for A and M and then, you know, you had me and Colt that went to Texas. I mean it's just an aw- it still is an awesome time. Um, for us, just kind of Thanksgiving, you know, in Texas playing around that date and 
the memories that come with that. So that day, that game was, was, uh, you know, I was, I was a sophomore and, and, uh, what I knew of that game and what my team knew was that this was the biggest game of our lives and probably will always be one of the biggest games of our lives, no matter who goes on to play, um, at the next level and what happens, you know, the rest of that season, just because we all knew that the rest of our life, if we, when people knew that we play in that game, people are going to know the outcome and you're going to, and that's going to go with you. Just like, you know, today someone, you know, you meet, you meet a, uh, another alumni or whatever, or you meet a big fan, you know, one of the questions that you're going to get asked is what was your record against OU, you know? Mm-hmm. And so like, those are things that, like you're judged on and that's what you're held accountable to going down uh, the road later on in life. So that game was big. We knew it was the last time that we were ever going to play each other. I think coach Brown, <clears throat> he, he did a really good job of hyping us up and like making us, you know, aware of how big this is but at the same time not letting it become so big that we couldn't handle uh, which is you know now you know looking back um not quite 10 years later but it's it, that's that's really hard to do with you know 100 105 guys from 18 to 22 years old i mean that's just that's hard and so i think that our coaching staff uh was able to manage that and, and build up the game to, to know that we're prepared and it's big. We need to understand that and treat it that way. But also, you still got to be free. You still got to be loose. You got to go play ball. And so um, both teams, if you watch the film, uh, I, I've gotten to the point now where I can block out the first three and a half quarters and just remember <laughs> the very end. But um, if you watch the whole game, I mean, it's a pretty sloppy game. It's a very defensive you know, battle between both sides of the ball, turnovers on both sides. Um, so it was, uh, it was pretty sloppy, and I think that kind of goes into what that game, you know, meant to everyone going into it. But ultimately, I think our preparation, I think the maturity of the seniors on that team um, at the time, and what we went through the year before, and getting to that point, I think, I think all of it came together at the end and we were able to pull out a big win and and probably one of the most hostile environments um that that for sure that i've ever played in but that that texas had ever played in yeah i was going to ask you about that i'm sure you've been to the games the a&m texas games in college station when your brother was playing maybe not but i mean you you've been to these big environments but you were a freshman um this for this game what was it like going into that atmosphere? Did Coach Brown say anything to you or maybe some of the other young players specifically or maybe the seniors? Did, you know, What kind of advice did you get going into that environment? Because I've been in games there. It's pretty intense, um, but I imagine it was you know cranked up to 11 for this game. Yeah, you know, I think this was maybe the last – yeah, it, it, well, yeah, not maybe. It was – the last time I believe that Texas played on Thanksgiving night, I could be wrong about that, but obviously it's the last time that Texas and Texas A&M played on actual Thanksgiving night. And it was, so it was a night game and it was, it was, uh, it was cranked up, no doubt about it. But I was actually, you said I was a freshman. I was actually a sophomore. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, and, and so, but yeah, I had, I had grown up, um, you know, going to this game on both sides of the ball. I mean, Colt got recruited by A&M and Texas. So when this game was played, you know, when Colt was in high school, um, he, he was getting invited as a recruit, right? So we've been, and then I was recruited by both schools. So for however many years, you know, probably 
at least five or you know six seven years i had gone to this game as a recruit or just as a fan um, and seen it in both stadiums and even you know going back to i was actually fortunate to be in the stadium you know in 98 when ricky breaks the record right and so I'd seen this game a lot on both on both ends, um, both in Austin and College Station. So getting there, but but playing in that game is just it's just different. You get there and you get on the field and um, and you and you see kind of how large that stadium, how large it was at the time, and now I mean they've added on and made that stadium much larger there in College Station. Yeah. But at the time it was huge and it was loud, um, and and the Texas fans have just a little sliver that's basically tucked outside of the stadium at that time couldn't even really see the see the field and um so it was it was different as far as just how did I manage it I mean that season was a season that we actually started the season in 2011 with Garrett Gilbert as our starting quarterback and in week two I believe when we're playing BYU um they pulled Garrett and put me in and we came back and, and won that game at home against BYU. And then from then on out, um, me and David Ash. So David was a freshman really kind of split reps throughout that season and split games of someone would start this game. Someone would start that one. And, um, we kind of had a two quarterback system really. And so go into that game I had played the end of a game the week before, and I think uh, this is all blurred together, but I believe it was against Kansas State, and we were down, and I kind of played the second half, and we came back, and um, kind of in Aggie fashion, I'll say that, you know, we didn't lose that game, we just ran out of time, <laughs> um, right, against Kansas State, so I felt like I had played well enough the week before to get the shot at starting against A&M, um, but it was really, we went through a week of practice, a week of prep, the same way we always do. You know, we had packages for me. We had packages for David and, and, you know, expected probably both to play to an extent, not sure who was going to start. And I remember being told, uh, on the field, basically that, that day that, um, you know, during warmups that, that I was going to start. Really? And And so I think that again, going back to just how, uh, the coaches decided to handle that prep. Um, it was probably the great, it was probably the best thing that, that happened to me really was that I didn't have a week of knowing that it was my game to start and control and, you know, how far can I, you know, if I don't mess up, I can keep playing this long. You know, I didn't have any of that. It was, I prepped as normal and which was always that I was going to start, you know, you just have to, especially in a two quarterback system, but prep normal got out there was told that I was starting and then, you know, and then you had to go play. Right. So I felt like, I felt like they, that was intentional. Uh, they probably knew that I was going to start that game, but it worked out. Um, it worked out just to, just to handle it the way they did. I mean, at the end of the day, what, what I knew just from, you know, growing up around the game, my dad was a ball coach, um, growing up around that exact game, that rivalry game is that, any rival game, and we can talk about the Cotton Bowl as well. I mean, if you track the the winner of that team, uh, the, the the percentage is so high of the team that doesn't turn the ball over as many times as the other team. They they will wind up being the winner. And so, I think going into that game, A and M, we knew had 
one of the best defenses they haven't had in a long time. Um, they were just young, and they had throughout that season, they had just gained momentum and momentum and momentum. And if you you know fast forward to the next year, I mean that's the exact same defense that goes into the SEC and plays really well. And you know a bunch of those guys on that team, um, are, I think you know still playing today. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that defense we knew was really strong. Um, we felt like we had a really good defense as well. You know, had Kenny Vaccaro on that on that defense, um, and you know a handful handful of just good solid defensive seniors leaders. Um, so uh, what I knew and what we talked about all week was just hey we got to go in this game and we can't turn the ball over. And and it and and in, in this game based on the way our defense is playing it's okay to punt punt sometimes in this game they're gonna we're gonna be pinned it's loud um, get the ball away protect the ball. And, and just be ready to, you know, be in a position in the game to go win. And, it, and we knew and we felt like we had the athletes and the coaches that if we were in a position to win the game, then we, we could pull that off. So ultimately the game plan wound up working out. I mean, I think we punted. I mean, we punt the ball so many times. We, had, we, we did have a turnover. Uh, we tried to pull a trick play out and do an interception. Um, but other than that, it was uh, – it was pretty clean on our side of the ball from turnovers. Meanwhile, our defense had, I think, four turnovers. Yep. Um, and and so we just, you know, we just couldn't we couldn't capitalize on on many. But at the same time, we weren't we weren't giving them the ball, um, kind of short sided on the field. You know, when they had when they had a first round quarterback, you know, on the other side. Yeah, that's interesting that you you talk about you know, understanding basically the idea of kind of, we got to play within ourselves and not turn it over because watching this game back, I mean, you guys did not start very well on offense and A&M did. Um, and they were kind of dominating the game. And then you have, like you mentioned the punt, they muffed that punt, Texas recovers. And the very first play off of that is the trick play passed by Shipley to, to Blaine Irby. One thing I'm curious about as a guy who is not – I played football like one year, so I'm basically not even a football player. How excited do you get when the coach kind of calls in a trick play like that after a big moment? I mean, is there kind of an excitement of like, ooh, I think this is going to be good? Yeah, totally. I mean, so our our offense coordinator was uh, Brian Harson, which, you know, the head coach, Boise now. Mm-hmm. And he came, he came from Boise. He was the OC at Boise when Boise – don't oh, do it. You want me to bring Don't that? say it. <laughs> I, I mean, it doesn't always have to come back to this, but yes, uh, he's a big yes. trick play guy is what you're saying. Exactly. exactly. I won't bring it up. So he what he is a big trick play guy. And it was what's, what's interesting is like, we didn't, we didn't even call those plays trick plays. Like that was part of our system. That's part of our offense and game plan every week based on the game plan we had what you would call a trick play or two or three that we would, that we, we practiced often. Like it's not like the one trick play to practice and you throw it in. No, we were, we were practicing these plays around the clock in off season and fall camp and, you know, seven on seven. Like we, they were just kind of part of our game plan. So, I mean, that, that play, I, I, we had ran that play no countless times that, it was just it was just kind of part of it, and there were certain things you knew just had to be set up in formation. They had to give you a formation. I mean, so often we call one of those plays, and it just like that, a big moment. This is our time to capitalize, and we wouldn't get the formation that we wanted, 
we'd have to get out of it and go on about our business. So that, that one was, we knew, we knew that we had, uh, we knew that we had the, the play called based on the personnel and they just need to give us the setup and not bring the one blitz that they, that they could bring out of that that could hurt it. And it all worked out that they, they lined up just like we want them to. Um, we snuck Blaine Irby in there. Blaine Irby ran a little corner out and, uh, and Jackson, I mean, I think he had a, he had a pretty good, um, QB rating, uh, in his, in his <laughs> career. I mean, I think, I think he was pretty much hundred percent completions and most of them touchdowns. So, um, we, we knew that we knew that Jackson, you know, all we told him is just don't overthrow him. He's going to be so wide open, but just don't overthrow him. And that, that's pretty much how it, how it turned out. Once that, that touchdown happens, you know, people say this or that about whether momentum's a real thing or whatever, but as a player, I mean, how much does that help your confidence in the game where you've been struggling and then boom, just you get one turnover, one play like that, you know, how much more confident was the whole team after that? Yeah. I mean, we were frustrated, like from, from an offense and like from a quarterback, I was extremely frustrated because it was, we just, if you remember, like we kept getting pinned, mm-hmm. like we were getting pinned inside the 10, inside the five, inside the three on the inch yard line. Like we started multiple drives in kind of in the end zone that where the horseshoe is, we're having to go in silent count. We're having to go in, you know, big personnel and try to run the ball twice to get it off the goal line. And then you get kind of one shot pass played. You got to go major protection. You have a couple receivers out there, try to get a first down. Like that was the first half of the game. I mean, and that, so that so it was frustrating from the standpoint of we never really got the ball on the thirty yard line and got to run out there and you know eleven personnel and go like it just I feel like it just never we never got that so I think that uh, we were extremely frustrated but the group that was much more frustrated than us was our defense because they were playing lights out uh, and so I think that touchdown. It didn't really prove anything to the offense of, hey, you know, we can play in this game. We're, we're supposed to be here. I think we all felt that way. It just was the circumstances where, hey, we got a young quarterback and we've been pinned every time. We're not going to give him the opportunity to make a mistake and turn the ball over right here on, you know, on the two yard line. So it was more just playing, playing the cards you dealt. Um, but when we were able to kind of get that turnover grab the field kind of middle of the field and, and throw that touchdown i think it was more the defense as they would say okay all right we're in this thing like we keep playing our game they're going to come around at some point and then this is and, and we'll get we'll get right back into this thing so i think it's probably more of a uh a, a big sigh of relief from our defense when we we're able to get that first first goal on the board yeah and i imagine that provides them with a lot more uh energy to keep going out and, and doing what they're doing um, not being, you, you mentioned the sort of the QB battle between you and David Ash. As the game's going on, you're not turning it over, but the ball's not being moved down the field, like you said, for a variety of different reasons. Is there that thing in the back of your mind of like, this drive, if I don't do something, then I might not be out here the next drive? You know, I, I didn't, it, we, we had some of that, obviously, throughout that season. We were both super young guys, and so... You know, someone, you know, when you're just young, and that's what's so impressive about some of these young quarterbacks today that go out and just strike and are players, you know, from day one as true freshmen. Um, but, you know, at that time, I just remember we're young, we made mistakes often, 
Um, you know, sometimes it just wasn't your day and coaches could realize it and say, Hey, let's try something new. Right. And so, um, we had done some of that during the season, but I really felt like, uh, that that game was mine. I, I mean, I just felt like that they, they had given me the reins and obviously if I went out there and, and was, or was not getting us in the right positions, not in the right plays, checking into the right, you know, plays when we see certain looks, I mean. I think you can you when when quarterback's not doing all those things, it's not so much as he you know as he thrown for 130 yards. No, I I was handling that game in a manner that I was I was making all the right checks and right reads. It was just again circumstances being being what they were and where we're how we were getting pinned back there. I think we all just probably chose a very conservative route um, to get out of there, and so. Man, had missed a couple of throws in that first half that, that if I could get back, I would have loved. Um, but also had made had made some some checks and some reads and gotten us in the plays and you know run looks that that busted big, right? And so from a from like a coach's perspective of watching the way I played in that game, I really hadn't done anything that would that would make them say, okay, let's try something else. Now, what I will say on that is that. What we had for David, given I was, you know, I was essentially the starter. David had packages that we always had for David or around the clock and, the, and throughout the whole season of, hey, this guy has wheels. He's an athlete. He's strong. Like we can get him in there and we can run some, you know, basically like a wildcat look right. with him as a quarterback that obviously has the ability to throw. And so that was always, you know, that was something that. I tried not to look at as, oh, if he goes in there with that package and busts a couple of plays, well, the game's probably his. Um, it's hard not to do, but I just tried to look at it as, you know, we're we're, we're running this two-quarterback system, and though we both don't like it, um, if we can handle it appropriately, there are sometimes, you know, benefits to that. And so he actually uh, – we, we actually threw him in there on, on a series to uh, run a couple of those packages, and he lost a contact – um, and, and, and so we had to, we had to get them off the field. Um, but other than that, I think they just kind of said, Hey, we're, we're rolling with case and, um, we're going to, we're going to see, we're going to see how this plays out. Is that when you guys had to call a timeout and he's, he's yeah. gesturing to the yeah. sidelines? Oh man, that so was we were fun. Trying to get him, we we're trying to get him to, to fall down, right? I mean, the defense does it to us all the time. We're trying to get him to just fall down, <laughs> and, you know, hold your nose or something. And he couldn't, he couldn't, uh, uh, he could want. I don't think he could see us. So ultimately, I had to call a timeout. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was you know rewatching the game, and and you and and three or four guys are really de- you know being demonstrative, and I was like, what play call is that? Because they're really. <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh well, that you know a little behind the scenes um, information. That's funny. So late in the game, obviously you know UT starts dominating sort of in the second half. I think it was seventeen straight unanswered points. But then A&M does take that lead very, very late. What's going through your head as a young quarterback in that environment with all of that pressure? Um, and I guess, are you trying to block everything out at that moment? And obviously, you're not thinking about all the pressure in that moment? Yeah, I mean, no. It's, it's, uh, it's hard. You, you try to block it out, but you know, it's, it's obviously it's hard. And some guys live for those moments, and some guys don't. Um, what I, you know, what I can say about me is that like, I was never, I was never the best practice guy, right? I mean, uh, I just, I just, I just wasn't. I was, and it, and it frustrated the heck out of 
Coach Brown and and all the offense coordinators that I played for when I was there. I mean, I just I was it was this deal that when you turn the lights on, it was game day. I was able to play and I was able to I was able to lead. Um, and it, and it was this idea that was frustrating for everyone because how how can you put it on out there and you know Monday through Thursday, like you just you look like a scrub on the practice field and so. Um, so that so that was part of it that for me those big moments um, my whole life those are those are what you look forward to right and so I still remember we uh, they get the ball and, and they're driving and I mean Tannehill was good I mean he still is good but he was really good and he had uh, oh was it Fuller I think was yeah. his big receiver Fuller yeah who was a stud who was a stud and so you know I think similar to us. You get the ball, you're down, you have to go score. What do you do? You go back to day one install of fall camp, your go-to bread and butter, and just get things going. You get completions. You get comfortable. Um, Tannehill had thrown a couple picks. And so it was – I think that's what they did. They got in a rhythm. And, I mean, that drive that they put together all the way down the field was impressive. I mean, it looked like – it looked like, you know – Again, it was day one install. Everyone knew their routes. Everyone knew what they were doing, protections. And they drove down the field and made it look pretty easy. Um, I, I still remember when, I guess it was a slant route to Fuller, and he and he kind of got hit close to the goal line and went in. Um, I think that was the, the, the final play when they scored. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was hoping he got in. Like, I really was. Right. The clock, the clock was so low that it was just like, you know, and I was probably the only one, you know, that was, you know, a Texas fan or player that was hoping he got in because nothing would have told you that we, we would grab the ball and, you know, go 80 and go score. Um, so when he scored, all I just, all I wanted was for them to stop the two-point conversion. And I knew that if we could stop the two-point two point conversion, that we would get in a position to win. And so I was kind of standing off by myself, and when – when uh, I guess he he scrambled and threw it and we knocked it down. Um, I, 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 it was like that in that moment. I was like, "All right, we got it." And I still remember. Uh, I still remember. Our, we always get together like during the kickoff. Our offense standing together, kind of game plan, and we jog out together. And I still remember one of uh, one of my linemen, uh, Mason Walters, that was like he looked at me and I won't say exactly what he said. <laughs> But it was just like, why are you smiling? Essentially, why why are you smiling? And I, I remember saying, "Bro, we got this. I don't. I have no clue. There's no reason for you to believe that we're gonna go do it right now. But at the end of the day, we do this every day. And I remember telling, like, this script has already been written, boys. Like, you gotta understand that. Like, we all got offered by A and M, and we didn't go to A and M. We came to the school that's the best school in the state of Texas, and like." This was written a long time ago, and all we have to do now is just go out there and do what we're supposed to do. Like, just don't get in the way. And uh, and some of the guys kind of, you know, it's just trying to just relax everyone of like, hey, you you can get nervous, you can go out there, but we do two minute drill every day, and the right school is going to win this game. That's how it's supposed to be. And so we got the ball, and um, you know, a couple of things went our way, and then we got into a groove, and um, and we're able to, you know make that make that longer drive at the end of the game to put, you know, who will go down maybe as the greatest kicker to ever play the game in position to 
uh, make a field goal. And at that time, I mean, Justin Tucker, we knew he was the man. No one else did, right? Today right. you say that name, everyone knows who that is. But we got to see him for four years every day, you know, kick these field goals and consistently make field goals. And so I knew the range. I knew where I wanted to get. And if I got him to there, it's 100%. Um, Coach Brown knew the range. Our offense coordinator knew the range. And so, um, you know, we had, we, had done, we had done that drill multiple times. We just had to get him there. So – you kind of left out a big part of that drive, though, is that that run by you, that sort of that iconic Case McCoy run where you t- break off a huge chunk of yardage and get yourself in, in that position. What's going through your head in that moment? Um, you know, you obviously weren't the biggest guy and you did not slide. <laughs> Were you terrified of fumbling? I mean, what are what are the emotions? And then after the play, you seem kind of dazed. Just kind of take us through that whole situation. Yeah, I mean, I'd been beat up in that game. It was I'd taken a lot of shots, and you're right, I wasn't I wasn't the biggest guy, especially in you know what week is that? Is that week ten or eleven right. of, yeah, by of, the of end. a season? You know, and I'm young. I'm still trying to figure out how do you keep weight on, and, and you know, for that long of a season. And so I was, I was, I was little. There's no doubt about it. And uh, and I'd been I'd taken a bunch of shots, and that was nothing against my offensive line, I thought my offensive line played, played really good. It was more of A&M had a really good defense and they had ways of disguising blitzes that you had to be, you had to be really good to catch all of them. We caught most of them, but there were several that we missed. And so, um, you know, I, I had been beaten up pretty good in that game. So fast forward in the game, I mean, all just a few more shots were, were all I needed, but, um, that 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 run, you know, I think it's uh, the play before was third and a couple, and we, you know, we we called a, another kind of day one install and kind of went first read, second read, third read, and came back to first read on the sideline. And uh, Miles Anibule actually was the one who caught tiptoed a little first first down uh, catch, and so we we immediately go into uh, just a little out route combo based on the, the defense that they had been playing. Um, and Jackson Shipley was my inside receiver uh, on the, on the you know, short side of the field there on our sideline. Jackson had been, again, another good player that had been banged up. He was wearing a knee brace in that game. And, and you know, probably shouldn't have been playing based on what was wrong with his knee, but uh, a, a competitor that also – you know, grew up in the state that wasn't was going to play in that game no matter what. He held in there and made some huge plays in the sense of you know throws the touchdown, but and, and had a couple of really big catches. But on that play, you know, he was he was running out route and it was probably going to be a pretty easy completion. And you know, I I knew the route the defense they're going to that they put out there, and I knew that what that means for me. Um, but I still want to throw that out route just because of the clock. I was trying to conserve clock, and so. Essentially, they go they go cover two man, and cover two man is in our world what everyone calls you know the Michael Vick rule, and what that means is people used to run cover two man all the time, and then when Michael Vick started playing this game, they realized you can't run cover two man on a guy who has legs and and, and can go run because what that means is there's no one that is uh, that is basically assigned to the quarterback. If he, if he decides to run, everyone's manned up and you got two high safeties. 
And so fast forward years later to, you know, you got me, you know, slow, slow kind of what, what, what they used to always say, you know, I was the smart with the kid with moxie, you know, is a nice way of saying I was unathletic. Um, so, so not exactly Michael Vick is what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And so, so they go cover two man on me, which is basically it's a slap in the face to you and that they're saying, Hey, you're not going to run and mm. which I wasn't really going to. And so, I knew I had it and I knew I could go get, you know, some yards, but at the same time we're against the clock. And so I was still going to throw the out route. Well, long story short, Jackson on his cut with the, you know, with his knee brace, he falls down on his out routes. So I basically had to go. Um, and, and so we knew, we knew what we had there and, and peeled out and went, you know, took it, took it, Phil, you know, I tell, you know, the, everyone thinks that, that the run is a lot longer than it really was. You know, I think, and I usually just settle about 80 yards, you know, <laughs> yards. but no, I, I, uh, I'm not going to lie. I mean, one of my favorite plays to talk about and like that I remember vividly was, you know, rewind four years or not four years. It was only been about two years earlier, you know, Colt and his long run down the middle of the field in college station, you know, he takes it to the house. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's one of my, so, when I'm running, I'm kind of thinking we're, we're ho- it's house. We're going. So <laughs> I just, I just, uh, I'm not, not, not quite fast enough to outrun some of those safeties. And, um, I probably should have gotten down. I could hear everyone in the stadium yell and get down, but, um, it, I, I got caught. So, but, it, but really it was kind of, that was right there where that, that distance was, you know, kind of where we needed to be. And, um, Got got banged around. Not bad though, but really it was when when we called timeout. It was more just I was exhausted, and you know there was one of those moments where I knew we had won the game. Right in that moment, when I got down, man, I and we were down. I knew the game was over because it was if, if that ball was going to get to Justin Tucker's foot, it was, it was ball game. So during those timeouts and and everything, it was it was more get the snap. Caden McCurry catch the snap, put it on the ground, and we're good. And that's and that's what happened. Yeah, you mentioned your brother. Obviously, he had many iconic moments as a player. You had this, you know, really iconic moment against A and M in the last game ever. And yes, you did bring this up, beating OU as well. Um, you know, how special is that for you know the two of you to both have these iconic moments at the University of Texas? Oh man, it's it's you know you can't. You really can't describe it. Um, you know, Colt is iconic at Texas. I mean, some of the things that he did and the and the win, the amount of wins he had. I mean, it's just it's unheard of. Got to come in and kind of. He really just kind of had the Cinderella story, man. He came in and started, you know, right out and got to red shirt and watch Vy uh, win a national championship and stand on the sideline for that and uh, and start as a freshman and you know. Ultimately, it didn't end the last game the way he wanted it to, but um, had, had an unbelievable career. And so, and, and played in some awesome games, some some memories that he'll have forever. And then getting to go do that as well. Um, fortunately, I played in a time where we got to play A&M. You know, we got, we got to play Nebraska. We got to play, I mean, some, some teams that these kids now never, you know, they, they might not even remember watching those games. And so... Um, got to play in some awesome, awesome games, and of you know, 
the OU games that I played in, um, A&M game. Got to go up and play against West Virginia at kind of the first time we went up there and, um, and beat them in, in an overtime game. Just some really cool memories that uh, him and I will have forever. We'll be bonded because of it. But, you know, awesome memories from my family, my parents. You know, I think they would – they would tell you those are those are my dad would tell you those are the best times of his life. My mom would tell you she's really glad they're over with. <laughs> uh, but but no, they were. It's super special, and the University of Texas is is a special place to us for sure. Being you know a guy who did not go on to a long career in the NFL, now you um, you know like you, you told us you're working what we would call a, a normal job. You're living a sort of mm-hmm. a normal life. What do you do you take lessons from these big games like this or from your entire football career that you use every day in your quote unquote normal life? Yeah. I mean, there's, there are a lot of things that you learn um, in football that have nothing to do with the game. Right. I mean, it's uh, you learn, you learn, especially from a quarterback perspective, you learn how to lead, you learn how to be a, you know, what I always try to do is lead by example, be a servant leader, right? Um, all these things that ultimately in most jobs in America, you'll probably be, probably be placed on a team. Um, and so you learn how to be a teammate. And that's at the end of the day, you learn how, you know, you're probably going to get married. And, and so you learn how to be a teammate to your wife or husband um, from a leading perspective. You know, I got, I got kids. And so it's like, how to be a father. I mean, there's things that at the time you don't understand um, wh- how this will play out and be beneficial to you later in life. And um, and then all of a sudden things click for you. I mean, uh, Coach Brown was so, I mean, he always made it a point to talk about, you know, how this is, is going to translate to you someday. And though you don't get it right now, you're going to write me a letter someday saying, coach, it makes sense. Thank you. Right. And so, and then just like today in the world we live in, um, the, this, this idea of, you know, people not being able to listen and learn and understand, um, from the black community. I mean, for me, you know, one of the things I always say, what I've said is that I'm, I'm so thankful that I got to be in a locker room with the majority of black guys because, I grew up in a small town, um, didn't really grow up with a ton of black, black guys. And so I got to go there. I got to learn. I got to go home with them. Um, and, and, you know, most of my best friends are black. Right. And so for me, I, I got to experience that through a locker room that today in the world we live in today, um, you know, I've, I've seen everything firsthand. I understand it. And, uh, I love those guys. And, you know, that's, that's, that if everyone if everyone got to spend four years in a locker room um, with people of and not just black guys, I mean people of all races, all backgrounds um, that are nothing like you, it's uh, I think the world would be a different place. So, you know, those, those are those are things that that you can't teach. I mean, people ask me all the time, "Do you miss it? Do you miss the game?" Um, and and my first answer is no, I really don't. Um, I don't miss. I don't really miss the cold tubs. I don't miss getting beat up. I don't miss all that. Um, what I miss is, you know, running out into Daryl K. Royal Stadium in front of 100, 105,000 people 
um, that moment playing in front of them, um, that, that moment you can't really replicate in anything in life, but more than anything, what I miss is, you know, the locker room being with those guys, you know, the, the plane rides, you know, the bus rides, the two a days. I mean, those things are, um, are experiences that you just really cannot, um, replicate because never again, really in your life, will you be, uh, in a locker room with a hundred dudes that you become brothers with and, and you're fighting for a same cause. I mean, it's just, that does that doesn't exist. And so, um, those, those are the things that I'll always miss and, and have formed me and made me who I am today, both from, you know, from, from an employee standpoint, but also as a, um, husband and father. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, um, that's a really, really good, very interesting, um, answer. One last question that, uh, a little bit, a little more lighthearted than that question, but you guys obviously won this game in college station how sweet was it to do that in College Station, or do you wish it had been at home? Do you wish you'd had the crowd there celebrating, or was it more fun to quiet a hundred thousand, you know, crazy? Uh, not well. Uh, I don't want to insult the Aggies by saying crazy Aggie fans, but a hundred thousand very excited Aggie fans. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, the way it happened is so sweet that I said I'll, I'll just say I probably wouldn't change it. Um, you always like to win at home, but there was, there's a going back to kind of what I was talking about. There's this special bond and, and it's really, and it's really special when you go into a place and you know that all you got in that place are, you know, I guess when you're on the road, you got like 75 of you on the road or 50, whatever the numbers, but the guys you came in on that bus with are, are it's just y'all. And so that's a special kind of bond of, okay, we're going into enemy territory we got to go execute the game plan. Let's get out quickly. And so that, that was kind of kind of the, the mentality you have to have. It's more of a business mentality. And so it was uh, – I, w- I wouldn't change it. I really wouldn't change it because I, I had grown up seeing plenty of games in that stadium and plenty that had gone the other direction. So to end it that way and, um, and, and send, them, send them on their way was, uh, was pretty fun. I mean, they, you know, the, the, other cool, the other cool piece was that – Coach Brown, you know, had told us, you know, you win the game, um, you don't have to come home. You can get in the car with your family and go celebrate Thanksgiving. And oh, so wow. it was it was neat to, if your parents were there, you know, just to, you know, I got to hop in hop in the car with my parents and head on to the ranch and celebrate a long Thanksgiving weekend. So that was uh the the way it was kind of it was all it just was too good to be true and you know, to hear them chanting SCC the whole game and then to quiet them and let them let them go on their way was a was a pretty special moment. <laughs> I figured that would be the answer. That's uh, <laughs> but you know I just thought I thought I'd ask. Um, no, that's good. I'm glad you asked. Yeah. All right. Record prediction for UT this year, assuming there's a season. I was about to say, can I say zero and zero because that, that probably is the best. Uh, that might be the no. You answer. you can't say uh, that. <laughs> I know. I know. I, I'm I'm so hopeful that we have a season. So I would say Sam is going to have a big year. Um, I get I get I get a lot of crap from from um, you know we always have all these pools, and I, I'm the sucker that is always saying you know ten, eleven wins, <laughs> um, but. 
you know, I think I think Sam Sam's gonna have a big year. We got you know a new system that I think he's gonna be really comfortable in. I mean, I'm I'm gonna go I'm gonna go ten wins again. Okay. All right. That's fair. Yeah. You know, yeah. the funny thing is, everyone I've asked predicts their school to win about ten games. So somebody's gonna be wrong. Um, but maybe you won't. Maybe you'll be the one that's right. Well, ten at Texas. If you don't, if you don't win ten wins, um, it's it's not a it's not a successful year. So it's kind of the it's the bare minimum, and and you know guys know that going in. And you know I was on teams that won nine and eight. You know, and it's just not that's not that's not acceptable. So no. uh, I know I know those guys know it, and you know again. The game, the game that matters for us, that really, and and you all too, but it, it really just kind of sets the the trajectory on the season is that OU game, at, at, you know, in the Cotton Bowl. So it's always a fun game to to watch or attend. But really, if you're able to pull that out, generally it puts you on the path to go win some ball games later on in the year and 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 go chase, you know, a really good bowl game. Yeah, well, I I appreciate you you. Um joining me on the podcast today and only bringing up the uh, game where you beat OU like five times as opposed to 20 times. No, thanks for having me, man. I really enjoyed it. And uh, you got you got a new listener. So I'll be tuning in to hear, hear these other guys talk. All right, great. I appreciate it. Thanks to get the case for taking a, a – good amount of time that was a, a probably our longest interview but i thought it was really really interesting and i love the way he broke down some of those plays and just talked about what he was thinking and, and um, really gave us some really good inside information on that game because i think it's one of the the most memorable games in that rivalry's history and of course it's the last one like we've talked about so what has happened to these teams since then well we all know that a&m goes to the SEC. They hire Kevin Sumlin as their coach. And in the first year in the SEC, they get this guy with the last name Football. Okay, well, his last name is Manziel. But Johnny Football wins the Heisman. A&M goes 11-2. They win the Cotton Bowl over some school, I don't know, Oklahoma, by a lot. And frankly, they should have won the national championship. If they were still in the Big 12, they would have won the national championship because, and I've talked about this at length on the the website big12bolts.com where I interviewed Kevin Hagelin who's a local radio host and a huge A&M fan and we talked about this A&M they go into that season had no idea they were going to be this good their first game because it's the SEC and the SEC schedules early conference games their first game was against number 24 Florida they lose 20 to 17 close game they were just figuring out really who Johnny Football was and that was kind of when he made his announcement on the scene. And so that wouldn't have happened in the Big 12 because you usually start against a cupcake, um, you know, a, a FB or FCS team, something like that. And then you go, oh, wow, this team's actually really good. The next week they would beat SMU 48-3, to South Carolina State 70-14, to Arkansas 58-10. to They beat Ole Miss by three. They beat Louisiana Tech, Louisiana Tech only by two somehow. Then they start... Uh, they're, they're ranked. Well, they go play LSU, who is number six at the time. Very, very good team. They lose by five. Then they beat Auburn 63 to 21. They beat Mississippi state 38 to 13. That was a good Mississippi state team. And then you have the epic game at Alabama, Bryant Denny stadium, number one, Alabama, and wins 29 to 24. That was the game that won Johnny the Heisman. He had that amazing 
fumble that he then caught and then scored a touch or threw for a touchdown. Anyway, they go on to win the rest of their games. They beat Oklahoma 41 to 13. If they hadn't had that first game loss to Florida, that team's in the national championship game because they only had one loss and it was to number six LSU. And if they'd have played Florida later in the year, they probably would have won because they kind of knew who they were at that point. Anyway, A&M didn't win the national championship. They won the Cotton Bowl. So, haha, I guess. And then ever since then, things have not gone well for A&M. They were nine and four the next season. Eight and five. Eight and five. Eight and five. Seven and six. Kevin Sumlin's gone. They give Jimbo Fisher all the money in the world. He goes nine and four and eight and five. They have never made the SEC championship game, which Missouri has, um, because Missouri for some reason is on the SEC East. They have not finished above midway in the conference. Even when they finished uh, 11 and 2, they still had two conference losses in the SEC. So they finished tied for fifth in the conference. So the move from all football perspectives has not been good for AM. And there's really no way you could argue that it has been. Aggie fans will say, oh, they've gotten better players and better recruits. Well, yeah, that's great. But if you don't win 10 games with those recruits, then what's the point? Meanwhile, things have not gone much better for the Longhorns. They were 9-4 and four the next season. They were 8-5 and five the season after that. Mac Brown gets fired. Under Charlie Strong, they go 6-7, and 5-7, 5-7. Seven, five and seven, five and seven. He gets fired. They bring in Tom Herman. They go 7-6. and six. They had a 10-4 and four year the next year. They won the Sugar Bowl. They were in the Big 12 Championship game. Things were looking great for the fighting Tom Hermans, and then they go eight and five next year. So since 2009, when Texas was 13 and one and lost in the BCS national championship game, they have lost more than four games every single year before that, prior to that in the 2000 and in the 2000 decade, the aughts, they did not lose more than three games in any of those years they had. So starting in 2000 and starting in 2000, under Mac Brown, nine and three, eleven and two, eleven and two, ten and three, eleven and one, thirteen and zero, ten and three, ten and three, twelve and one, thirteen and one, and since then you go five, five and seven, eight and five, nine and four, eight and five, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six, ten and four, eight and five. It's not been a great decade for the two biggest schools in Texas, and it's exacerbated by the fact that they do not play each other and they don't have that that check mark at the end of the season of beat A and M. You know, the Longhorns actually have beat OU several times, even when they haven't been very good in the last decade. So at least they have that check mark, beat OU. But who does AM have? I mean, they beat LSU uh, in that crazy, like, seven overtime game. And they kind of claim LSU as their rival, but LSU doesn't claim them as their rival. LSU claims Alabama as their main rival. So AM's kind of a team without a main rival. And it, it's kind of lame. And especially if you're sawing them off at every game. So we've heard all this a, a bunch of times. I don't want to get into it too much more. Uh, in fact, I, I, I'm done talking about it. And if you're a Texas fan who has endured this series up to this point and is excited that you finally get to celebrate a Texas win and you're sick of me talking good about OU because I had Bob Stoops on a couple of weeks ago, well, you should be excited because we're about to enter into a stretch in this series of three straight OU losses. I think I decided to put them all together just so I could uh, rip the Band-Aid off and not spread it out. Next week, we're going one of the most painful OU losses. Well, man, they're all painful. But one of the most unexpected, strangest endings of any game I've ever seen 
and I was there. Yes, we're talking about the time that Bob Stoops decided to punt it to Tyreek Hill for a second time. This is the Big 12 Bullets Game of the Week, presented by Reptown. Oh, yeah, 